Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. For all of you who are online and everyone in the room, we're so grateful for every single one of you. We're continuing our series, Back to the Future. We're going back in time. Our church is going back in time, all the way back to the first century, 2,000 years ago, all the way back to Acts chapter one and two. So why? We wanna go back to remember who we are, to remember who God made us to be so that we can better understand who we are to be in the future, that we can go back to the future that God intends for our church. Now, usually when we think of, of uh, the promises of God in our life and the principles from the Bible, we usually identify them personally. And we should. When I hear a promise from God, it's God's word, I try to take it personally. How can I incorporate that in my life? And you do the very same thing. But in this series, except for today, in this series, we're trying to think corporately. We're trying to think of these promises in terms of for our church, because that was the intention. And Jesus in Acts chapter one gives us two promises for Sugar Creek Baptist Church, for our church. One of the promises that Jesus gave us in Acts chapter one is that God will never leave us and he will never forsake us. He will walk with us every step of the way. No matter what problems we go through, God is there for us. No matter what miracles we need God to do, God will do those to further the gospel of Jesus Christ in this church. No matter what enemies we might face, God will help us to overcome them because God is here. He is in our midst. He is working in and through our church. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Jesus gave a second promise in Acts chapter one, and that was that there is a God in this universe, and this God is sovereign. The word sovereign simply means totally in control. And this God of the universe is totally in control. He is sovereign over this universe and he has a plan and he is working out his plan among mankind. But there is a moment in time, there will be a moment that comes in which that plan is now completed. And the Bible says, Jesus gives the promise that when that time comes, Jesus is coming back for us. That when God is finished, when he has done everything he wanted to do, then Jesus is coming back for us. You know, the, the idea of the whole thing is that we, in the end, we win. That God is with us, he is for us. And then when God is finished, he's coming back to get us. In the end, we win. And this was the first thing he taught us in the series. Last week in the series, he taught us two things. There is a power and there is a purpose. The power is the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus had taught about the Holy Spirit in his ministry, but now when he had risen from the dead and before he had ascended into heaven, those 40 days, he was reminding the disciples there was a power. The power of the Holy Spirit of God. The very moment you accept Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. You can't get more Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. It isn't getting more in our life of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit getting more of us. 
The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and he becomes our guide, our encourager, our comforter, our empowerment. He gives us the words we need at the moment we need them. He gives us the strength we need, the patience we need, the kindness we need. He is the strength and the power of our life. The more we yield ourselves, the more we surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God in our life, the more the power flows in us. And Jesus taught us this in, in Acts chapter 1. He said to his disciples, You wait, you wait in Jerusalem until the power falls upon you. But not only did he teach us about the power, he taught us about the purpose. He said in Acts chapter one, verse eight, that our purpose is to be witnesses of Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Every church has their own way of talking about this great purpose of God and Sugar Creek has its way of saying it too. All of the ways are really saying the same thing, just in different words. So let's say ours. Our purpose is, would you help me? Our purpose is to love and lead all people to life change in Christ. It's just simply saying that God has given us the purpose of being witnesses of Christ to lead as many people to Christ as we possibly can and then to help them to grow and mature in their walk with God. Jesus had given the disciples these things, the two promises, the power and the purpose. And then he said to the disciples, don't leave. Don't you leave Jerusalem until the power falls. Then Jesus ascended up to heaven. Well, for the next 10 days, these were gathered together. And it wasn't just the disciples. There were actually 120 followers of Christ. And all of them stayed right there together in Jerusalem. For 10 days, they prayed and they poured their heart out to God. They got things right in their heart. They repented of sins that they were, had done and were doing and they got their heart right with God. They got their heart right with each other. They confessed their, their faults to each other. They, they, they asked for forgiveness. They granted for forgiveness. There was restoration of relationship among these 120 people. And then on the 10th day, they were together. They were praying just like they had been before. And look what happens. It's Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And on the day of Pentecost, the word Pentecost is simply, it was one of the, the, the holidays of the Jewish people, still is today. This day of Pentecost was a big, big holiday for Jewish people. They came from all over the world, Jewish people that, that had dispersed them all over the world. They came back on that day to Jerusalem. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers, 120 of them, were meeting together in one place. Can you imagine the size of the room? Especially for first century, it was a massive room. And they were all together, they were praying together when suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. I want you to think of the noisiest storm that you've ever lived through. I've lived through tornadoes. I have heard the freight train that they say when it goes over, it sounds like a roar, like a freight, freight train. I've heard that. There were no clouds in the sky. There was no storm that was happening in Jerusalem. But there was this roar like a freight train 
perhaps, this was roar that was going through and they heard the sound of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And every one of them present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. It was a shocking moment. It was an amazing moment. They weren't ready for this. Jesus didn't tell them these things were going to happen. He just said, you wait, you pray, you get ready, the Holy Spirit will come. And in this moment, all of a sudden, as he came, it was shocking. It was an amazing time that they experienced. All of a sudden, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak language that they, languages that they had not learned. And all of this transpired. But it wasn't just for the 120 that were in the room. Everybody outside in that section of Jerusalem all, hear, all heard the same noise. Remember, this is Pentecost. And so people from all over, Jews from all over the world, every country you can name, and they could get to Jerusalem, they did. And even countries we don't know about today that existed then, they came from those countries and they descended upon Jerusalem. The historians tell us it was about 250,000 people from all over the world, Jewish people, descended back on Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem didn't have those kinds of hotels. They weren't ready for all these people coming. And did you know what happened? The Jewish families would open their house to a person they didn't even know. That person didn't know them. They didn't know that person, that family. They said, you need a place to stay. You come and stay in our house. So all the houses had visitors all over Jerusalem who had converged for this special holiday. Well, they heard the noise. People looked out. There was no thunderstorm. There, were, there was no windstorm coming. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. They came out because of the noise, and they began to move to where the noise was. What is going on here? And as they were moving toward the place where all these Christ followers were, those Christ followers came out of the room at the same time, and they were all talking in languages they had never learned. How bizarre is this? But what happened was these people that came out to see what's going on, they heard these individuals speaking their own language. They, they all knew Aramaic, but they also knew another language that was their language where they were, their particular dialect where they lived. And all of a sudden, they're hearing people that obviously had never been to their country, had never left the Holy Land, and they're speaking their language. How in the world are you doing this? And a commotion happened. What's the answer? What's going on? This is so crazy. And Peter stands up. And he says to them, this is exactly what the prophecies in the Bible have talked about. When the Messiah comes, when the Holy Spirit of God comes, this is exactly what God said would happen. And he has come. And then Peter begins to tell them the greatest story ever told. 
began to tell them the greatest story of salvation and how we can be forgiven in your life, have meaning and purpose in your life, and how the Spirit of God could come to live inside of you. And Peter is preaching this sermon. When he gets to the end of it, he offers an invitation. You can respond. And notice what happens in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. This church of 120 suddenly became a church of 3,120. And in one day, in one moment, all of a sudden it took place. What were the words that Peter spoke? Look, I have preached on this first section of the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming and what it all means. 18 months ago, I preached on this in 2020 at the Sunday of Pentecost Sunday. So I don't want to talk about that right now. What I want to talk about is what is this, this sermon that Peter is preaching? What does he say? What does it mean? How does it affect our life today? Let's talk about this. So what did Peter say? The first thing Peter said is this, you must see Jesus as both Savior and Lord. The Savior of your life and the boss in charge of your life. That's what the word Lord means. You must see Jesus as Savior and Lord. And, G and Peter begins with this, Jesus the Messiah came and God demonstrated that he was the Messiah. Now notice how he says it in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you, how? By miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you and through you as you yourselves know. It is that last phrase I want you to grab hold of. As you yourselves know. Here are these people, thousands of people that are surrounding Peter and all these 120. They've come because of the noise. Now Peter is speaking to them. And most of these people had come from outside of Israel, from somewhere on the other side of the, of the world, it seems, from a long ways away. But some of these that have gathered around him are people that live in Jerusalem. And I can just imagine that there was probably one of them that, that thought, I, I did see, I have seen some of these miracles. I remember when I was one of those, the 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, that had gathered to listen to Jesus preach, and dinner time came. We had no food. And there was a little boy that had five loaves of, of uh, bread and two small fishes. And we watched him. We, what, what was, what's happening here? And Jesus bowed his head and he prayed and he blessed those five loaves of bread, two small fishes, and to our shock. Oh, where did the food come from? It, it seemed to double and triple and quadruple. We, it just kept growing. We, we could hardly believe it. They were passing out food. Where is he getting all this food? And the food is passed out. And every one of us, who knows how many people were out there, every one of us ate to our heart's content. And when they collected all the leftovers, there were 12 basketfuls. We, we saw the miracle happen. We were shocked. We were amazed. It was a miracle, and I've seen it with my own eyes. And probably somebody else was there in the crowd. I remember, I knew Lazarus. 
He just lives a couple of miles from here over on the other side of the Mount of Olives and he died. He and I were friends. We knew each other from the time we were small kids and Lazarus got sick and he died. We were so heartbroken. We had the funeral. We put him, his body, his dead body in, into the, the grave and we were so sad. A couple of days later, Jesus comes and he says, roll away the stone. And we did what he said, but we didn't understand why. And all of a sudden, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And to our shock, Lazarus appears in the doorway, standing up. What? With all the grave clothes around him? We took those grave clothes away and it looked like he had never died. I saw it with my own eyes. The other people that were there, they had not seen any miracles, but they'd heard. It had gone over all over the world. Jewish people would go visit their friends in other parts of the world and they would tell them there's this guy that's come. He does all these miracles. He teaches things we have never heard in our life. This man is so holy. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Every time we would come and we would hear more with all these feasts that we would come and every time we would come back to Jerusalem, we heard of stories and is it possible that he's the Messiah? But then when we came this time, he's dead? You crucified him? Why? Peter, in his sermon, says, yes, he was crucified. He was crucified by you. Listen to while he puts it in verse 23, Acts chapter 2. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and knowledge. Stop for a moment. He is saying this crucifixion wasn't, well, things got out of hand and he just got killed. No, it was not that. God saw in advance foreknowledge, but not just foreknowledge. God had a purpose and a meaning for sending Jesus. He was coming. He was sent by God to be crucified. It was the will of God that he die on the cross. But even though it was the will of God that he die on the cross, you put him there. You and wicked men, he says, you and wicked men. And he he pointed his finger around the crowd. You and you and you and you and you. Put him to death with wicked men. And he was crucified on a cross. These guys from everywhere you can imagine, me, I wasn't here. I didn't do anything like that. There were some that were there and maybe they had been a part of those who said, crucify him, crucify him. But the others, I wasn't here. How can you say I put him on the cross? Because the truth is, all of us put him on the cross. What in the world does that mean? You gotta go back to some statements that are made in the book of Romans, but, and it connects the dots. Listen to how it puts it. In Romans chapter three, verse 23, for all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us have done things wrong. All of us have said things that were wrong. All of us have done things wrong. All of us have had attitudes that we shouldn't have had. Every one of us stand guilty before God. 
All of us are sinners before God. Chapter six, verse 23, and the wages of that sin is death. We understand wages, what you get from it. What is the result of your sin is death. We understand consequences because of sin. When we were growing up and with our parents and we we did wrong things, we experienced consequences. In our government, when we do, when we break laws, when we do what is wrong, we suffer consequences. There is a God of the universe and he has the laws of how he wants us to live our life and every one of us have messed up. Every one of us have done wrong and there's consequences and the wages of our sin is death. Physical death and spiritual death, the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life for you through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8, he goes even further. He helps us to understand it better. But God demonstrated his love or demonstrates his love for you. I want you to notice that word demonstrates. It's in the present tense. All the other verbs in this verse are in the past tense. He has a present tense, but God demonstrates his love for you. In that While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Jesus died on the cross because of our sins. But notice that he says, his love is demonstrated. It demonstrates itself every day in your life. Why the present tense for the word demonstrates? Because when you and I go through times in our life that, that are unfair, that are unjust, that people treat us wrongly when things happen in our life, why did you let this happen, God? Do you still love me? God says, I loved you then, I love you now, I love you in the future. And every single day in your life you can know, I demonstrate every day my love for you because I gave my son to die on the cross so you ever doubt the love of God, go back and look at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Peter says to them, we were the sinners, not Jesus. But he's the one that took the punishment, not us. He was our substitute on the cross. Should have been us but he took our punishment. But now, listen to what Peter says. But he didn't say in that grave. No, he rose again from the grave. Look look at what he says in verse 24 of Acts chapter two. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Death is the greatest enemy of all of us. We feel it every day. We know that day is coming. Once death grabs hold, it does not let go. But with Jesus, it had no choice because there is a God of this universe who is sovereign and in control. And he ordered death, let go of Jesus. And it had to let go. It could not stay hold of him. And in Acts chapter two, verse 32 and 33, and God has raised this Jesus to life. 
and we're all witnesses of the fact, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out that Holy Spirit so that this is now what you see and what you hear. You bring all the story together. Jesus is Savior and Lord. How does a person come to know Christ as Savior? How does a person come to be forever changed and their life forever saved? You must come to see Jesus as Savior. The only hope of salvation, the only way that you can have relationship with God. You must come to see Jesus as Savior and as Lord. The word Lord means the boss of me, the one in control. The one I obey, Lord, that word Lord means the one in charge. Jesus as Savior and Lord. Something else then happens in the story. You must own your own culpability of the crucifixion of Jesus. You've got to own this moment. You've got to own your part of this moment. That's what he's talking about. And listen to what he says in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. And when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter, brothers, what, what must we do? How can we deal with this? What must we do? You know why they came to this conclusion? Because they took these truths about Jesus, about his, his coming to be our Savior, his death and burial and resurrection. They took these words from their head to their heart and they cut them to the heart. This story that Peter is telling them about, he is telling us about today. This story says it wasn't nails that kept Jesus on the cross. Jesus in a moment could have called for the angels of heaven to come and they would have taken him right off that cross and they would have healed him of all the lashes those whips had put on his body. He did not have to stay there. But he knew that if that happened, if he called for the angels to come and rescue him and they took him off the cross, you and I would have no hope. The payment for the sin had to be made. And if he doesn't make it, we have to make it ourselves. And it means that we are forever lost. The only chance of salvation we had is that Jesus took the payment for us. He had to stay on the cross. But it wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross. It was me. And it was you. You kept him on the cross. Your sins kept him on the cross. Your sins kept him on the cross. And my sins. We kept him on the cross. We've got to come to a place that this whole story of Jesus is not just information for our brain. It's got to come to our heart. We've got to understand it was me and it was you. Then Peter answers their question, what do we do? And he says, you must repent and turn to God. See what he says in verse 38, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. That word 
Repent means a change of mind that changes your heart. We're going in this direction. We're we're moving in this way and we realize we're wrong. And how many times have we known we're going the wrong way and we just keep right on going? But repentance means I know more than the fact that I'm going the wrong way. I it's gotten to my heart and I turn and I change and I go the other direction. Repentance means that we, we, we change in our heart what we know to be true in our mind and we turn our life back to Christ. Repentance is not feeling bad because we got caught. Repentance is coming to hate the sin that is destroying our life. It's to turn and go the other direction. That word repent is in the aorist tense in the Greek language and it means do it now. Repent now. Don't wait till later because you have time for, the, for Satan to talk you out of it. But now the Holy Spirit of God is working in your heart. Do it now. Turn now. Repent now and give your heart to Christ. One of the greatest passages in the Bible, I love it with all my heart, is in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, because it's so clear about what to do. And listen to what he says. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord Jesus, you are the boss of me. I get off my throne. I put you on my throne. I am now following you. You are Lord. And believe in our heart that God raised from the dead. It's not just information. It is information in our brain that's come to our heart. I have received it. I believe in my heart Jesus rose from the dead to the point that it changes my behavior. to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. It's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. And I'm asking you today, would you do this? Today, do it now. Would you give your heart to Christ? Would you accept It was my sin that put him on the cross. And this morning, I, by faith, turned my heart away from me being on the throne of my life. Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. And today, I confess with my heart, I believe that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Go, God, change my life. Would you do that today? Today, right now, I'm asking you that are watching online, would you make that decision today? and give your heart to Jesus Christ today. There's one more thing he mentions in the passage. You must declare by baptism that you belong to Jesus. Listen to how Peter puts it. Listen exactly to how he puts it. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show. Circle the words to show. This is the key words, to show that you have already received. See, the word received is past tense. You have already received forgiveness of your sins. We aren't saved by being baptized. 
we get baptized because we're saved. Baptism is an outward demonstration of what has now happened inside of us. Jesus told us, he commanded us to be baptized because our salvation is not just a personal decision, it's a public decision. It's not just what we do inside, it's what we declare on the outside. It's a public decision. Uh, on, on my hand, I have a wedding ring. I've been wearing this wedding ring for a long, long time. It got put on my finger by, by my new wife. When I said, I do, I am gonna be faithful and loyal and love Kathy Manning for the rest of my life. She immediately put a ring on my finger to remind me of the commitment that I'd made to her. And when she did the same to me, I immediately put a ring on her finger to remind her of what she had committed to me. And we've been ringing, wearing this ring ever since. And did you know only a few times has it come off my finger? And the reason, quite honestly, because I love her, but the, the, another reason is I can't get it off. I got it off a, 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 a few years ago when I had surgery, but we worked and worked and worked. I don't know, did I, my knuckles must have grown over time. I could barely get it off. We worked and worked and finally got it off. The last time I had a surgery, we couldn't get it off at all. And they just taped it up. It's a hopeless thing. He's never gonna get this ring off his finger. This ring is not my marriage. This ring is an outward symbol that I am a married man. But what if? What if? Every morning when I leave the house, I leave Kathy, as I'm getting in my car, I take the ring off and put it in my pocket. And I leave it in my pocket until I get home. And then when I get home, I put my ring back on. And the next day, as soon as I leave, I take my ring off until I come back in the house and then I put my ring back on. What do you suspect about me? When a person understands what baptism means, it is an outward symbol that you have committed your heart to Jesus Christ. It is a public testimony that you know Jesus as your savior. If a person understanding what baptism means and then says, I'm not gonna be baptized. Really? Jesus commanded us to, this is what it symbolizes and no. What do you suspect about that decision? I heard this story, it's a recent story, and I just heard it's a true story of a guy that was living in Indonesia and he got a visa to be able to come and go to, to, to college in America and he came here. And after he got through college, he got an extension that, so he could work and he was working in the United States, but now it, the time was up. He was going to need to go back. Indonesia is a Muslim country, and when he got here, he met a pastor. He came to know Christ as his Savior. He accepted Jesus in his heart. He didn't want to go back. He knew what he would be facing. He didn't want to go through. They wanted to stay here. 
So he and his pastor came up with an explanation. They're going to stand before a judge. Let's tell the story. And they, they rehearse the story. Now they are in front of the judge. But as they're beginning to tell the story, the judge stops them. And he says to them, to the young man, have you accepted Jesus as your savior? He said, yes. Have you been baptized? And the young man said, yes. And the judge turned to the pastor and he said, did you baptize him? Yes, sir, I did. Does your church accept his baptism? Yes, sir. They do. Okay. Permission granted. Next. The only thing the judge was looking for was baptism. You know why? Because if you're a Muslim, you can say anything you want, but if you get baptized, you have crossed over. If you're from the Jewish faith and you get baptized, you have crossed over. There are some of you who have never received Christ as Savior, and I'm asking today, would you give your heart to Christ? And there are some of you who have accepted Christ as Savior, and for whatever reason, never been baptized. I, I was going to, I, we, we, it just didn't happen, time got by. I didn't even understand what baptism was about, but now you do. Now you do. And I'm asking you, would you follow Jesus publicly in baptism? Now that you understand what it means. And there are others of you who've been coming. There's a sense in your heart, this is my church. And this morning, we invite you to join this church. Now, usually, we ask you to go to the Next Step Center, but not today. Today, we are having a come forward invitation. And I'm going to ask all of our invitation guides, would you take your place at the front? Because I want you to see where they are in this morning. We're asking you. God's speaking to your heart. You want to know him as your savior. We invite you to come to one of these invitation guides and say this morning, I'm giving my heart to Jesus Christ. We've had people come to give their heart to Christ in every service. And this morning, we're inviting you to come and give your heart to Jesus. We're, this morning, we're inviting you to come to one of these uh, invitation guides and say, you know what? I have already accepted Christ, but I never followed in baptism. I want to do it. I didn't understand what it was about. I didn't understand the whole thing, but now I do. And I want to be baptized. I want other people to know I know Jesus as my Savior. There's some of you need to come. I want to be a part of Sugar Creek. And we invite you to come today. And here's what we're going to ask. We're going to ask our, our uh, worship pastors to, to lead us. And we're going to invite you to stand as uh, members here of the congregation. And we're asking all of our members to pray. Pray for those who need to make the decision today. And if God's speaking to your heart to make that decision, come to one of these invitation guides. Let's do it right now. We ask you to stand where you are and come. Making that decision for Jesus Christ. I'm coming, giving my heart to Jesus. I'm coming to present myself for baptism. I am coming joining this church. What is God leading your heart to do? Pray for others who need to make a decision today. Pray for them that they would make that decision for Christ. Come. Come today. Jesus is calling. to the altar the Father's arms are 
Take the hand of that person who's standing in that aisle. I'm making this decision for Christ. Would you do it? to all of you who are watching online. It would be the greatest joy of our heart if today you'd make that decision to give your heart to Jesus Christ. There are online ministers that are there and you can share with them this decision that you want to make and we'll help you as you walk through this decision to make that commitment to Jesus Christ to be your savior and Lord. And there are some of you that have never been baptized. You've given your heart to Christ, but you've never followed him in believer's baptism. Share that with one of those online ministers right now. Share that. And maybe you live in the region of Sugar Creek. Maybe you live, live nearby and we would love to baptize you. We would love it if you came and visited us and we will joyfully baptize you as God has led in your heart. Give us the opportunity to do that. Just share with that person online. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you have done in all of our campuses today and the many people that have come to know Christ as Savior, the many people that have said we want to follow Jesus in believer's baptism. Now move in hearts today. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now it may be, we're going to ask you to stay in the, in the worship center. We want to have a time of worship and we want you to experience the baptisms that are about to happen.